Thank you for downloading Atypical, the podcast. If you enjoy our work, all we ask is that you leave us a review in your podcast player and share it with your friends. It helps us reach more people, and it's always great to hear from you. Thank you again, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Atypical, the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Atypical. It's me, Simon, your host, and I'm joined by my co-host, Joey. Morning, Joey. Morning. How's it going in Joeyland? It's going okay in Joeyland. It's a, it's a Friday morning. I mean, you know, it's what, what, what more can we do? It's heading towards the weekend, which means probably more work. Um, but it's looking quite warm, actually. Nice sunny anyway, day. Sunny day. We like sunny. Sunny days bring me to Pappy. Um, anyway, so this is a, just a, a short filler episode. We, we were hoping to try and get a bigger one in this week, but obviously, as as you can all understand, we're heading into sort of holiday season and just getting people's diaries together. I mean, I was I was away in Scotland for the whole of last week, which, by the way, lovely. I, I highly recommend the Outer Hebrides and really, really beautiful beaches, great mountains to walk. I'll tell you that. Very enjoyable. Um, no, so one of the things I thought we'd have a quick chinwag about is obviously I don't think anybody could have got away from the news this week, could we? No. Well, I mean, I have to admit there was a point. <laughs> the point where my dad came into the kitchen yesterday and was like, have you heard? And I was like, yes, I don't think you could avoid it. It's like, yes, one of one of his ministers has said that, you know, that the, the, the chancellor who he appointed yesterday has said that he should resign. And I was like, I think you're a bit behind since you've been for breakfast. Dad. And he's like, why? And I was like, because he's resigned. The, 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 the chancellor's resigned. And I was like, no, try again. <laughs> so <laughs> it was... It's- Ever since Tuesday morning when Lord MacDonald went on to Radio 4 and sort of the, the pebble that started the avalanche there, I think. Trying to keep up with it, I was chatting to one of my, my work colleagues, Sally, and, and so every now and then I'd just get like a number from her. So, like, oh my God, it's, you know, 37 now. I, was like, oh, I can't. When I looked a minute ago, it was 20 something. So what's going on? Oh, yeah, because by the time, yeah, from, from starting his uh, committee hearing to the end of it, it was just live updates of every minute. There was just another person <laughs> who'd resigned. There was there was the one chap on the liaison committee who was just looking him in the eyes as he sent him his resignation letter and didn't yeah. say a word. It was oh dear, I, I I don't I don't think I can I can really quote the leader of the opposition, but it really was the ships leaving the racks. Mm. Oh, but I mean, one of the things that I, I, was, I was talking to one of our one of our other co-hosts who's not here today, but I was I was talking to Kim about this yesterday, and just all this stuff going on. I mean, obviously everyone's you know not everyone, but most people are you know, absolutely fascinated because it is sort of the breaking up of the, the the government and what that could mean for us all. But I don't know about you, but I was hyper focused on it for like two days, and it is exhausting. Um, I sort of I I, I met up with a a friend last, and we had dinner, and, and we resolutely avoided talking about it. Just so tired, we're just like, oh god, I can't think about it anymore. My brain has been racing for two days. I just need to go to bed. And I think it's something that, that you know everyone probably feels about this kind of thing. And and one of the things that I was thinking about this morning was, is this quite a good way of explaining to non to, to well to neurotypical people how it can feel for neurodivergent people when we get a sort of a hyper focus on things is there's so much going on all at once and oh my goodness it's quickly moving and moving moving as we're just saying so every time you looked away a new person had resigned um i don't know does that feel like 
it it could be a, a quick way of explaining to people who don't experience easy overload, I suppose, what it's like for, for some um, neurodivergent people. It's, an, it's, an, it's a good analogy. I think it, it's important to remember. I think most people experience overload. I just obviously it's, it's the speed of which it happens, which is difficult to convey. Mm. I wonder the the... The problem with that analogy at the moment is so many people are so fed up with the news. I don't think a lot of people watch it anymore. Well, uh, yeah, it, it did get to it, that point, didn't it? Like, oh, I haven't watched the news for months. And you're like, oh, what's wrong with you people? I know it's frustrating, but you still have to watch it. Otherwise, how do you, how do you, how do you partake in society? Yeah, it's. I, I think for me, it's just trying to find analogies to explain to people how very, very quickly things that might seem perfectly normal to, to others can become overwhelming because I I mean I I'm reasonably good at avoiding bad hyperfocus, but I know plenty of people who just get caught up into things very, very quickly. I mean I, I and I do do it sometimes if I'm not watching myself care whereby it's just, oh a thing is happening and then you get so like you're trying to keep up oh, no it's, I, 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 it's the shifting sands beneath you thing. And I don't know, I'm I'm always looking for ways of of explaining it to people who might not feel that normally and so i just i don't know the last few days of all the political shenanigans and you know the the man being appointed to chancellor who by the way was investigated by national crime agents own uh financing years ago but hey ho we've only put him in charge of all of the country's finance that's an entirely different podcast but let's not go down that road um you know being appointed and then the very next day turning around saying hi boss me again you remember yesterday where i I threatened to to resign unless you gave me a top job well as it turns out i think you need to now go and just trying to keep up with all of the 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 backwards and forwards of this now in in the day of what 50 people resigning and one person getting fired i'm like what's i don't what how how who what it's I don't know. Part of that, I think, is just me going, is this a good enough analogy to explain overload of information? Do well, so when you do you shut down from it and just like almost bury your head in the sand when it happens? Like, no, not dealing with that. Boom, gone. No matter how important it is when it happens. Pretty much. Yeah, I reach a certain okay. point where I just go, I-, I cannot deal with this now. I have to put it down and, and just get away from it. And I-, and I can't think about it. And that has happened once or twice in work it, in the last it, few is years. It, is, so. it, is it an angry, uh, put it like, oh, like this almost a self-denial, this thing isn't worth my time, oh, screw it, get rid of it. Because I think with, I think with when, with, with the news analogy, when people, mm. when people, and I think it's the same when you confront people with an idea they don't like, regardless of whether it's right or wrong. And instead of, instead of dealing with it, they, they just dismiss it out of hand and i think that happens with the news with people when it's fast like that or it's news they don't want to hear uh it becomes sort of dismissed and they discredit it out of hand so they don't have to deal with it whereas Mm. i'm assuming that's not the emotion you feel towards overload no so i mean i for me it very much depends on what it is very occasionally if it's an overload thing i will just hit a certain frustration point and go oh I can't deal with any of this ah! mm-hmm. um, and, and throw it out the window and then refuse to my, my brain absolutely refuses to re-engage with it until either I'm talked down by someone I know and trust or it just reaches a point where it no longer matters. But normally it's a case of uh, I, I become kind of frustrated with myself and it's almost like a depressive cycle. Just go, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. Ah! Um, and it, it, it's that that is quite frustrating because obviously I've tried to, to 
uh, I suppose try and train myself not to have that reaction. But it's it's one of those things that I suppose is sort of slightly inbuilt, and and I find it very 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 difficult. So my my main way of dealing with it is just not to allow myself to get into a position where it looks like I might well get overwhelmed, or to try and find I suppose like turn off points. So if I can see a building try and find a way of diverting onto either a different track and doing something else or telling someone this is there's too much going on here please help and i think that was the biggest learning point for me actually was just saying the please help part or just being able to you know send a message to like a group of friends going i'm really struggling to say everything's coming in too quickly what do i do and knowing that one or two of you will just send me back a quick message saying hey do you want to have a quick you know conversation or divert me with memes about otters or something <laughs> yes which by the way that is the best road sign in britain it is indeed yes but anyway so talking about the news uh one thing i did spot was that uh last night there was a proud in business uh discussion in london it was a, a thing being held at the royal society of arts very by the way are a fantastic organization they have lots of interesting things on their website check them out um and anyway there was a a panel brought together to talk about um being lgbtq plus in the workplace and there's a really interesting statistic here and i, I think i sent you the article earlier on whereby it says that 41 percent of queer people go back into the closet when they start a new job and and one of the things that people somebody said there sort of strikes with me because obviously you know i'm being an when i was an apprentice and so forth I, I have lots of interaction people in education and moving into their first jobs and so forth and one of the panelists and i'm going to quote them directly here people who felt comfortable being out in education are not at work and i, and I sort of wondered is this and it says 41 percent. that feels like a huge number but then again i, I suppose in a lot of industries or, or workplaces it's it is a form of masking, I suppose. It's 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 not presenting your authentic self. Really common in education um, because I think, especially if you've got difficult children that you're teaching, you don't need something else that could hinder you. And there is that fear, which I would hope is less of an issue now. But at the same time, regardless of whether children are homophobic or not, it's still a weapon to be used against a teacher who's making them do things they don't want to do. Um, why give the extra ammunition? I think as well, there is also a fear. Sadly, you have that ridiculous link in people's minds with um, any homosexual and paedophilia. Um, oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. In, yeah, you in, must, in education, you're homosexual, yeah. therefore you must be touching my child. And if you, if you get, you know, uh, wrongly accused of something and you happen to be known that you're you're gay as well you're just like well why have i nailed my own coffin which is an insane uh world mm. we live in that the two, those two things are still continually bouted about together um so there's that i think it, it is i think worrying. in the wider workplace itself it's still a big issue of people it's, uh, yeah i say i i wasn't in the closet when i started my job but i wasn't like throwing it about and you still have to have that that conversation with everyone again and it's not a problem no one's ever had an issue with it but it's it's that that constant you 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 never stop coming out because every time you meet a new group of people you're you're coming you, out you're doing it and when there's then your livelihood it's sort of at stake it does add a pressure to not want to come out Whereas it's you know it is bonkers that you have to keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so some of the some of the research I was looking at earlier on. I mean, I I found a Stonewall Scotland uh, article that said that's anything up to sixty one percent of people who were open about their identity before starting the job went back into the closet when they started. And there was some really interesting research done 
by of all organizations, Vodafone, back in 2018. So it's a little bit out of date, but I, I suspect that some of these numbers are still reasonably germane, is that up to 76% of them have uh, who took part in this, this research admitted to hiding their sexual orientation or, or their gender identity at work at least one, with at least 43% of them claiming that they thought that being open about with who they are would affect their success. And I think it's it's one of those things that, that trips over into our, our normal area of neurodivergent. But obviously, I think, you know, queer identities are... are how, how easy is it for people to, to fully take part in their work without feeling forced to disguise who they are, their authentic selves, because they, they, they fear career limitation or, or even in some cases a physical threat? Mm. I wonder, as, what would be interesting is if we get hold of, if they asked, because obviously there's... there's... Uh, 76% hidden their sexual orientation or gender identity. I wonder how, if if they ever had the information of what, if there was a, a sexual orientation or gender identity that people were more likely to hide, whether people, maybe people thought, oh, maybe people thought that one was less acceptable than another. Or, because obviously with, especially with gender identity at the moment, it's still a very new thing for a lot of people. Um, mm. trying to get their head around, especially when you've got non-binary or people who either don't identify or do identify as both genders, but not necessarily at the same time or both at the same time. So that can be an incredible um, juxtaposition for people, some people to hold in their head. And I wonder whether some people feel their gender identity is too kooky for mainstream people. And that might be hidden more um, than another one that, you know, because I know a lot of, I mean, you're more likely to find an out gay person, male, than a, a, an out bi male. Yes, yes. Um, thankfully, I'm hoping that's that's changing because, I mean... It, the, it, does, it does seem we, to be, but yeah. with, the, with the number... I mean, I've just literally just got rid of the awful app that is Grindr, but there was an enormous number of people who were not going to put their face or send you a picture of their face who were bisexual men which they were quite happy to say that they were bisexual, but not show you their face ever. And do you think you that's a, a shame thing almost, is is they feel like they, they, they can't fully admit to who they are? Yeah, it's sort of where gay men were 30 years ago, I would suppose. It, it is considerably more prevalent now that people are happy to say that they're bisexual by the looks of it, but... I'm wondering if people. I mean, this is this is my own experience here, and, and might only be my own, my own opinion. If, if people are more likely to now to say that they're bisexual, because that's a, a useful label to grasp onto the fact that actually, in many cases, the sort of the gender and sexual identity of the person is maturing less and less, and it's more about the whole person. And mm -hmm. sort of, uh, for lots of people, that sort of well, this is where I wish we had Kim here. Uh, she's better at language than me. Is is I suppose it's almost that. Is is it moving into actually the the base state is more towards pansexuality. It's not so much about the the gender identity as the person. Yeah, very much uh, so. I I I, I can't because I mean I I always refer to the I always refer to the Kinsey scale. I like the Kinsey scale because it's oh we, we we're going to do an episode on Kinsey because he was the most brilliantly hilarious person to talk about. But anyway, yeah. sorry, I interrupted you. There. He because because. Because the way in which this the scale is, and he already he admit that that it was very it was a very basic scale, and people don't not fit into scales. But because it was because the way it's which is labelled, where it's a hundred percent heterosexual, and then it's not a hundred percent sexual, but only incidentally homosexual. So mm. I I've never really thought about it, but it something happened. It came up at the time. It was a good idea. I enjoyed it. I don't feel bad about it, but I wouldn't do it again. Or that it's that sort of yeah, it happened. Cool. Then there's 
so that's the, the zero is completely completely heterosexual and then you've got incidentally and then you've got more than incidentally then you've got bisexual and then you go the start going the other way yeah. where it, you would only incidentally have had you're gay but you would have only incidentally had sex with a, a woman more than incidentally sorry then incidentally and then completely homosexual and i like that because it gives that slight nuance to sort of yeah fuck it why not yeah it, it sort of because when you haven't got uh, a shame in the moment of doing something people will do and it doesn't matter whether it's sex or anything else if if, the, if you don't have a, a sort of a shame behind something and this is why people do mad shit when they're drunk because the inhibition's gone people will kind of just do what they want mm. um so do you think why, then sorry well it's just saying that's why i like the king scale because it gives you that yeah I could, you know i could see myself doing it in under the right situation where so where, so you're not holding people to that very rigid bisexual gay straight set of labels because i don't even myself as a very comfortable homosexual man know that some women are bloody sexy so i couldn't possibly say that i am completely gay because mm. of that so i do think it's more likely as things go on people will be comfortable just sort of being themselves and not what putting themselves in that box and if the right person comes along the right person comes along yeah i mean i i guess this is you know progress from sort of the 1960s where it'd be 100 percent of lgbtq people hide who they are in the workplace because yes. you know illegalities but i mean the fact that it's still you know in the 40 percent range feels i don't know it feels it feels slightly sad actually that people can't people do sort of go back into the closet when they start new jobs and i, and I wonder if part of it is i suppose still a fear especially in certain industries that you'll be ridiculed for it or, or it might impact your your uh your career opportunities yeah, yeah. people but but I, I think the number of people who are out at work is considerably higher than this survey suggests it's just that the survey is skewed more to the fact that people have done it. That que the question they have asked would suggest that it was only for a small period of time that they were back in the closet, not that they went back in um, all the time. So the, the way mm. they, the question they've asked gets people who were in the closet for five hours at work when they went back in, and people who are still in the closet, and they're all in the same. They're all in the same statistic with this. Well, I, I think it'll be interesting if we can find some research that mentions uh, neurodiversity in the workplace as well, and whether or not people try and hide that. Because we yes, know do you, that they do. Do you ever? Do you ever feel like you stop coming out about being like neurodivergent? Oh God, no! But then no. I'm I, I'm I'm totally open about about it. I, I wear a badge on my lanyard. It's on my signature on all of my emails because I feel if I can at least be open with who I am. No, I include my pronouns in there. I include ask me about type things in there, which includes things like ask me about autism in the workplace. Uh, well, we because have. I feel if I can do that, if I can show it, it might help other people to go, ah, oh, that, that person over there has autism. They have ADHD. They are differently sexual or, or gendered or whatever they might see me as. I mean, I just see me as a sort of weird conglomeration of things. But it, uh, for me, it's a case of I'm, I'm not, it's not so I don't, think people are ashamed of who they are i i just i just don't particularly have any shame in who i am most of the time as as, as you will doubtless know sometimes i will just say and do things because they just seem like the right thing to say and do and, and i don't even you know if i looked at them from an as an outsider and go oh that's 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 a bit uh, rude or whatever i don't feel bad about it. but for me it's just a case of kind of goes back to sort of the um the work i did when i was when i was with the the, the apprenticeship stuff going and representing apprentices at 
parliamentary things, speaking on European committees and, and various other things. Very much just a case of I'm comfortable enough most of the time, and I admit I do hide myself, so I'm comfortable enough most of the time in, in who I am to create a space for people who are far, far better than me to feel that they can be their authentic selves and can start to sort of say, yeah, I am gay or a lesbian, transgendered. I, I am autistic. I do have uh, ADHD or dyslexia and just sort of normalize it, I guess. And that for me, that if I can achieve just getting one or two people to feel more able to be open about themselves that that's for me that's a, a win in life this is what you see with it when you when you look at a lot of edi things and you talk and you listen to stories especially uh with it's a, a thing that comes up with a lot of black uh actors now that they're older they said you know watching i was it was um it was whoopi goldberg i was mm. watching the other day she was talking about star trek and she said there were no when i was growing up there were no black people in the future all science fiction was white there were no black people and then there was a horror in star trek mm. and obviously there was still a huge amount of racial tension in in america and in the world and there still is but in the future this was a black person who was serving she was an, a commissioned officer and although you might argue that she was essentially dictating what the computer told her so she was the secretary <laughs> so we can we can discuss how much progress was made with that but anyway but at the time and there was obviously the inter famous interracial kiss and everything else but mm -hmm. it was it was visibility and that was the reason why she wanted part of the reason why she wanted to become an actress and why she was then on star trek when the next generation came around because she wanted because of that role model that that visibility um Gave, gave her the thought that she could break through that 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 glass wall as well and and be yeah, more of but herself. It's just, it, but it 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 normalised the idea that that was that was something that could be, and it's I think it's the same. That's why part of the reason why I think I, I always have some form of rainbow on my person, because um, and the same I think with when you've got your um, pronoun badge on and that sort of thing, it normalises it for people. Mm. And the person who's reading it might not mean anything to them, but they've seen it so it starts to become more normal mm. and the more normal it becomes the less stigma there is about it um i think i'm just gonna be this is a this is a tangent isn't it um so we, we, we are a pro tangent podcast oh no yes i know i'm going there Really, really. I am. I am. I am. It's a, oh, it's a handbrake turn happening here. Um, <laughs> so OnlyFans has, I think, made an enormous difference to how people think about um, uh, sex work mm. in the oh, last. We, we we're going to do a whole episode on on sex work. That's that's definitely one which I I know I've got two or three people lined up who want to yeah, talk because it's. It's talked about quite a lot. There's a lot of very famous people, very influential people who are making a lot of money. And I think ultimately when people have realized, oh, actually, these people can make, well, some, some people are making millions of pounds a year mm. on their OnlyFans. Um, and money is always the massive lubricator of pretty much anything. And um, plenty of lube, yes. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, capitalism does not care who you no. are, or where you've come from. And I think when people see success in terms of money, it drastically drops that stigma. Um, but it's to say it, it has normalised it. And the number of people I know who have who have considered starting an OnlyFans, even if they were only to make a couple of hundred pounds extra a month, mm. it's a big difference to their lifestyle, especially when with the cost of living crisis at the moment. But they're, they're not worried about 
the stigma of it. They're actually just whether they their biggest concern is they didn't, actually didn't think people would want to watch them. Let you know, regardless of what the content was, they just didn't actually think they were good enough to draw attention. Not that they were worried that there might be some sort of stigma behind it. So I think that's yeah. a fascinating change of it talked about enough that it then becomes. Normal. I mean, I'm not sure I could even get people to pay for this podcast, much less <laughs> me being on an OnlyFans. So <laughs> depends what you, depends what you're offering. Um, uh, yes, moving very swiftly on. Um, anyway, I, I think both of us need to actually get back to work now. So uh, thank you so very much for joining me this morning, Joey. It's, it's been okay. a pleasure as ever. And for, for our listeners out there, thank you for sticking with us for another week. We're hoping to get back to a, a more normal schedule with the rest of the crew very soon. And we, we look forward to, I was about to say seeing you again soon, but this is an audio medium. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Oh, talking, is it? Because that suggests a two-way street. <laughs> Well, we're talking and they can listen. Well, that's true. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much as ever, Jerry, and have a good day. You too. Bye, all. Goodbye, everybody. Have a lovely day. Right, and now we end the recording. Right, uh, how do I... Right, stop record... No, how do I make him stop? Damn it, Craig, stop! Uh, Quick, this is where we say all the pro-Nazi things that we would normally do, and then you have it on a recording. I mean, oops, you're still recording. What? <laughs> Boris Johnson was an amazing prime minister. I mean, he really... No. We, we just say all the slurs now. This has now become slurs chat. I mean, he was memorable. Yes. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Some, somebody once said to me oh boris johnson he's quite a character my only response was in that it would be better if he was fictional yes mm. 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 Yeah. Ah, that's, i think i found the button